Hello, and welcome to the first mini episode of Know That Really Happened. Today, we're going to be joining Catherine Brunet back on that story about the white ship disaster. It's tragic, it's ancient, Catherine really knows her shit on this, and you get to hear a dumb joke at the end. So, here we go. I'm yeah. getting my knock joke ready for the end. Oh man, I don't have one. I, I should think of one. I always want to have like one joke that I can just have ready, but I never remember it when people want a joke. Like I <laughs> met David Sedaris at like a, at IU, he, he did an event where he like read from his new book. And we stayed after he like signed all these books and he draws a picture in your book when he signs it. So he like drew a picture in my book and he also does this whenever he meets people, he asks you for a joke. And of course I was like blank. I can't remember. I was like, I don't have a joke. I'm so sorry. I felt so bad. <laughs> and I'm, and that was like 15 years ago and I still don't, still have, don't a have a joke. <laughs> I feel like I'm probably not going to come up with one, but it's fine. Um, I got you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, shall I tell you my story? Yes. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm so today, excited. <laughs> so today I'm going to tell you the story of the white ship disaster. This accident now mostly lost to the public knowledge of historical events, permanently altered the English Royal line of succession, and it plunged the kingdom into civil war known as the anarchy. <laughs> have you heard have of the anarchy? The, I have heard of <laughs> Anarchy in general, not the anarchy this as like the anarchy, capital A. No. Oh my yeah. goodness. So I don't know how familiar you are with England 1000 years ago, but lots of things are unsettling. A lot of things are unstable. And I'm going to lay a little background for you so we know who the players are in this. Cool. So, first, I'll set the stage. We're traveling back almost a thousand years to medieval England. And there are a lot of people named Matilda at this time. So <laughs> I've eliminated most of them from the story. There's two left that I couldn't get out of the story. They're main players. So there's two Matildas, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> there could have been like six. So I did my best. Why were there um, so many Matildas? It was just a popular name or? Well, okay, so we're talking about upper class and upper class like to keep their names from their uh, ancestors. So the same names get recycled over and over. Um, gotcha. It seemed like a popular name at the time, but also um, William the Conqueror's wife was Matilda and all these other Matildas are some, some of them, if not most of them are named in her honor. So oh. it's mostly her fault, but um, <laughs> got it. So it was a popular name um, in the medieval time period. I'm, I'm going to cough real quick. You're not allowed to cough on my podcast. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> William I, known as the Conqueror, is Duke of Normandy, and he sails to southern England and defeats the English king, Harold II, on the battlefield near Hastings in 1066. So this is the beginning of the first, the first Norman king. He's the first person from Normandy who becomes the English king. So Harold is overthrown and killed. At this time, the Normans did not follow the practice of the firstborn son and his descendants automatically succeeding the throne, which is something that I think we assume is just part of it. The firstborn yeah. son always just ascends the throne, but that's not a given. And um, at this time, the Normans didn't do that. So there was a bit of a kerfuffle. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> William the Conqueror has three sons. 
he picks his first son, Robert, to inherit the Duchy of Normandy. Okay, cool. His second <laughs> son, William II, to inherit the throne of England. Drama. So oh my God. <laughs> you can imagine this call caused some animosity between brothers, especially when William II dies without children in a hunting quote-unquote accident. And he leaves his throne to his younger brother, Henry. Okay. Robert's a little bit mad. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, uh, we could do a whole other podcast just about Robert. He is <laughs> so crazy. He's, he's This family is infinitely fascinating, but we are not going to focus on Robert today. So Henry I is William's third son, and he inherits the throne from his brother. Henry's kingdom is strong and it's pretty sure-footed. He's defeated his older brother. They're always fighting each other. He defeated mm -hmm. his brother, Robert, who challenged him for the throne. And he's also taking control of his brother's land in Normandy. So Robert really, uh, really doesn't get anything out of this. And Henry is a pretty strong king at this time. All right. It feels like so personal. Like, why does everyone in his family not want him to have anything? <laughs> From what I remember, he was quite an asshole. Ah, <laughs> not like so any of these people were like peaches, but he seemed especially quite a jerk. I feel like none of these people were super fun to be around. So about 60 years have passed since the Norman invasion. So 1066. Now we're uh, 60 years later with his wife, Matilda, which we're not going to remember. Oh. With his wife, King Henry I has two legitimate children, William Adeline and Matilda. Two. <laughs> Great legitimate children. I use this term legitimate on purpose. I mm. specifically say this because Henry was not the most loyal of Christian husbands and he had a whole slew of bastard children <laughs> all by a different variety of mistresses throughout his life. Actually, I think there are three named Matilda. <laughs> I, I didn't actually think there were going to be very many, but I figured there would at least be one. <laughs> yeah, there are I think there's three. I think he had three to four daughters named Matilda. I don't know why that was. Oh, right. When we were talking about this before, I was like, this is like Ron Swanson and his Tammies. <laughs> yes, it is yeah. like the Tammies. Yes. Um, somehow they kept it all. They kept it all in order. Um, Henry is actually pretty good. His natural born children. He recognized at least 20 of them. <laughs> so kind. At least 20 of them. He awarded them titles, land, and politically strong marriages. So he was taking care of them to some extent. So Henry's son, William Adeline, is heir to the throne of England and the only legitimate male offspring. And his sister, Matilda, is next in line as the only other legitimate child, male or female. So these are the two important kids here. Um, Matilda leaves England at the age of eight, to um, eventually get married to the Holy Roman Emperor. Um, she's married at 12. And here I want to insert one of my biggest pet peeves, people thinking that throughout history, everybody got married very young. This is not the case. And that we think this because royal people got married very young, upper class ah. got married very young. Um, it doesn't mean that she was immediately having children at age 12. And most of the time, they were not consummating their marriages until 15 or older. Um, so even when you hear about a 12-year-old child bride from like a political royal marriage, they aren't immediately having children. There's there are instances of this, but it's very rare. And people note it, like uh, Margaret Beaufort mm. 
had a, a child at, I think, 12 or so, and people thought it was odd. It was a big deal. So mm. this, is a, this is a pet peeve of mine that I have that even like in Jane Austen's time, people weren't getting married till 20 or older. It wasn't considered like old maid at 21 years old. Hollywood has especially like leaned into that narrative of it's so dramatic to see this like young girl getting married. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not to say that 16 year olds didn't get married, but these like very abnormally young marriages that we see in history are just for the upper class for political purposes. It's uh, it's not happening among the lower classes. Just Got a it. side note that. <laughs> so yeah, so Matilda is married at 12. She has no children and she's um, she returns back to England and um, because her husband dies in 1125. And because of her first marriage in her youth, she is known to history as Empress Matilda. And this is how I will refer to Empress Matilda. So always known as Empress Matilda. So now we have a little background of the family so we can arrive at November 25th, 1120. King Henry and his son, William Adeline, who's now 17, along with a large court entourage, are in the village of Barfleur on the northern coast of France and are planning to sail back to England after a visit to Normandy. A local ship captain, Thomas Fitzstephen, approaches King Henry with a proposition to use Fitzstephen's new ship, a sleek, chic model for the royal crossing to England. But Henry says he's already got his travel plan set, so he passes the ship offer to his royal entourage and William Adeline, which tells us that he felt it was safe enough that he would allow his very um, close loved ones to use it. So this is the ship that was new and supposed to be streamlined, great quality. In addition to the many in the king's retinue and Prince William, King Henry's illegitimate son, Richard, who is also a teenager, and one of Henry's daughters, the other Matilda, Countess of Perch, also boards Fitzstephen's ship called the Blanche Neff or the White Ship. All right, so now we're getting somewhere with this. You said the words. <laughs> We've been introduced to the culprit. Okay, so they are accompanied by a large group of young nobles, many of whom are heirs to their own family titles and estates. And in the same young generation as um, all the other aristocrats of this uh, of this group, or should I say nobles versus aristocrats. Um, the sources say that William Adeline was accompanied by almost all of the young nobility flocking around him. So this is a big group of young people, late teenagers and such. I just like already know something terrible is gonna happen. So I'm just, oh God, what's about to happen to all these teenagers? Mm -hmm. In total including crew there's about 300 people aboard this ship it's like substantial amount of people yeah and as it happened through many times in history young people want to party and mm -hmm. so a large amount of wine was procured for the ship's passengers so no big deal just uh, having a little drink after all this is a very short trip from france to england it's only 30 miles or so, and an extremely well-known course. Countless ships ran this route for centuries. It would have been quite routine to travel this way. But that being said, the channel is not necessarily a safe or easy crossing. Um, so vigilance for an ever-changing conditions of this body of water are really important. But this crowd is here for a good time. So what's the harm in a little binge drinking? Unfortunately, this crowd was drinking with the crew. Oh, God. 
So yeah, this is probably going to be a problem. <laughs> so everybody's drinking and having a great time. And the sailors are drinking and everyone is boasting that their ship is fast enough to catch up to King Henry's ship, which has already departed. One medieval account of the incident states that priests arrived to bless the ship and the passengers and the waters. And the drunken party laughed, mocked them, and drove them away. They were oh feeling it. Hooligans. Yes, yes. <laughs> Raucous. The environment was clearly chaos. Stephen of Blois, the king's nephew, who had originally been on board the ship, disembarked at this time, claiming oh. illness and unable to travel. One source decides to give us TMI and says Stephen has diarrhea from heavy drinking. So Stephen's like, I've been down this road yesterday. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I thought he was leaving because he was like, okay, the vibe's off. Could also be. Maybe he had good instincts. Maybe he had anxious diarrhea. Can you row this boat while drunk? We shall see. Unfortunately, we are going to need to remember Stephen for later. He's important. They left after dark, which was not ideal. And reportedly, the inebriated oarsmen decide to push at full force to catch up to Henry's ship to see if they could beat him home to Southampton. The ship has barely left the harbor when it suddenly smashes into a well-known rock and fatally damages the ship. Just almost immediately. My favorite part of that is that you said a well-known rock. Oh, yeah. They knew. <laughs> it was documented. This rock has been on the plans forever. People know it's there. It is a hazard, but they know to right. not hit it. Okay, so just as suddenly, only a mile or so offshore, this ship immediately starts sinking fast, <gasps> very fast. People quickly begin to drown, like super, oh super my fast. God. We are talking cold November night air in freezing cold water of the channel. Screams from the passengers were heard even by Henry's ship. They could hear people screaming. But in the dark, with little moonlight, no one could tell where it was coming from. Oh. One account writes that when they, um, one account writes that on realizing the grave situation, Prince William Adeline was immediately thrown into a little boat, a little lifeboat sort of, and was being rowed to safety. But when the, um, when the prince heard the cries of his half-sister, Matilda, the Countess of Perch, one of the king's other children, William decides they have to go back and save his sister. You can imagine what happens when they go back. When the little boat returns to the sinking ship, it immediately is swarmed by frantic drowning people who swamp oh the boat, sinking the boat, pulling all the passengers down into the water too. And um, even staying afloat, people could people who could swim would have frozen to death very swiftly in this winter weather. So they had really no chance. Jeez. Yeah. And it happened so quickly. Two lucky souls managed to cling to the floating mast of the ship, staying out of the icy water. Um, a nobleman's son called Geoffrey Lagle and a humble butcher named Berold from Rouen. It was said that Berald was not even supposed to be on the ship, but had boarded to collect debts owed to him by the nobles. In Earl Spencer's book on this event, he suggested that Berald may have even survived because of his insulating and water-resistant nature of his lower-class clothing. 
which oh. would have been made of wool as opposed to rich, heavy, dense fabrics of nobility. Damn. A medieval source also says that the captain of the vessel, Thomas Fitzwilliam, emerged from the water at one point to ask Beryl and Geoffrey what had happened to Prince William. When they told him that the prince had drowned, the captain reportedly said, it is vain for me to go on living and allowed himself to, to drown instead of facing King Henry's wrath uh, at the carelessness of an accident like this. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. So it's not over yet. Uh, Jeffrey Legal eventually was unable to hold on and also drowned. Beryl the Butcher ended up being the sole survivor found wow. by local fishermen the following morning. Some of the passengers' bodies were washed up on shore, but most were never recovered, including the king's son, William, the king's son, Richard, and his daughter, Matilda of Perch. Oh, my God. That is how quickly shit can go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody was was in charge. It was total chaos. So the news travels slowly to England. And while English nobles are grieving their children's deaths, and many of them, remember, a lot of these people are from noble families, no one has told the king what happened. They're afraid of his response. Oh, my God. He asks after his children, the sh and he asks what happened to the ship. And finally, they designate a young child to come and deliver the news to the king, because everyone's afraid. He was completely distraught by the deaths of his sons and his daughter, devastated by the cruel fate of his only legitimate son and heir to the throne, who ha he had been working very hard to train. Um, it was written that Henry wept for his children, and he never smiled again. Oh my God. So while the shipwreck is a personal tragedy for many noble families, it's also a political disaster and royal crisis for England. Henry's queen had been dead for two years. So he immediately remarries in hopes to conceive mm -hmm. another son to succeed him. He marries 18 year old Adeliza of Louvain. But uh, even though they are married for almost 15 years, he has no more children. Um, Queen Adeliza later remarries and has seven children with her second husband. So it suggested that Henry was having fertility issues later in mm -hmm. life because he was a little bit, he was older by this point. Right. So Henry right. eventually names his only other legitimate child, Empress Matilda, his successor. He has his court swear loyalty to her. But after Henry's death, his nephew Stephen of Blois of diarrhea oh. fame swoops in and takes the throne for himself that rat face motherfucker i have a personal vendetta against uh steven i i hate steve <laughs> i you know what i completely changed my mind about him i don't think he saw people throwing wine at priests and went the vibes off i'm leaving i think he was like oh my tummy i can't eat cheese because i'm a royal and then he left had his diarrhea and now he's like, oh, good. Now I get to be there. I get to eat cheese and shit everywhere I want. <laughs> he got lucky, I think, because who would have who would have imagined that the, the throne would go sideways like this? Yeah. All right. So he usurps this throne for himself and cousins, Empress Matilda and Stephen, continually violently vie for this crown for decades, only ceasing after Stephen names his successor, not his own son, but Empress Matilda's son, Henry. 
who becomes Henry II. So wow. it is a complete disaster in every way. And it throws England into this anarchy that nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows who is in charge. Recent news about the white ship. Oh. Um, in 2021, there was an archeological dive crew that investigated the area that the ship is thought to have sunk in because we know where the rock is because we know about the rock. Everybody We've always knows. known where the rock was. We know where the rock <laughs> is. Yes. They found a 40 meter long hull of a ship and they found evidence of iron, bronze, and wooden nails, all indicators of this type of medieval ship that would have been similar to a Viking longship directed by 50 oarsmen. So it's still too new to have complete conclusions on it, but it could be the remnants of that ship, which is pretty wow. exciting. <laughs> yeah, wow. so I know um, we touched on this a little bit actually earlier, but I thought this was a good tie-in. Um, to wrap this up, I wanted to address the idea of discussing historical tragedy with you. When I was researching and writing this story, it was easy to laugh along with some of the articles that I read, which were titled for some clickbait purposes. One was literally called Medieval Booze Cruise. But as I wrote about this disaster, I looked at some medieval manuscripts that depict this event, particularly one that shows Henry above his broken family tree and his children in the ship. This image is Henry clothed in red and blue, seated on a decorative bench, his hands folded in prayer, and his crowned head bowed in melancholy. It's like a right angle. It's just straight down. Oh. His face completely overcome with sadness. The text above says, Henry's children perished in the sea. This image was created 200 years after this event, but it really conveys the misery Henry must have experienced. And it I, actually brought me to tears when I looked at it. It's a true image of a father's broken heart. It really helped me connect with the story on a human level, despite this incredible situation, crazy details and timeline of a thousand years ago. It's hard sometimes to imagine full lives that existed this long ago. And this image really connected that with me. That's my yeah. story of the white ship. Thank you for that. Oh my God. And yeah, this is also exactly what we talked about a little bit during the Boston molasses flood thing that like the particular, the, I don't know, the logistics of the situation are, are a little bit laughable. But oh, yeah. when you see like, when you hear the firsthand quotes, when you see the art that was created, the fact that he was so miserable afterward that 200 years afterward, people still were like, he was never the same after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was um, uh, famous that his grief was so great. Yeah, it was impactful to see those images along with reading about the story. You can't help but wonder what would the crown have been like had his son's line been able to take? Matilda's son, who would have inherited after her anyway, Matilda's son, Henry II, is important in so many ways. He was married to Eleanor of Aquitaine and mm -hmm. his son is Richard the Lionheart and his son is also King John and both well-known. So many really important things happened because of those people. And yeah, who knows what would have ha happened if William had just lived a long life and his cousins were just nobles and not kings. And do we know why, was, was it Stephen, Stephen? Yeah. Um, why he named Matilda's son the successor instead of like picking someone else because he could have totally gone sideways there as well like it was supposed to quote unquote go to Matilda's son regardless 
And he could have decided, nope, I'm not going to do that. Why did yeah. that happen? I I don't know why he didn't pick his own son, but right. maybe, maybe this is some sort of compromise. But I don't know. It's That's something I would need to read more about because that time period where they go back and forth over and over is, is very complicated. Mm -hmm. um, the loyalties change back and forth. Um, Matilda is married to the Duke of Anjou and the Normans don't like the people from Anjou because of their rivalries in France. So they don't like Matilda for that reason. Um, but she is English born and her son is the more direct line. So yeah, I, I don't know why Stephen ended up doing what he did. My instinct is it's not out of charity. I feel like something forced right. him to do that. Like he, he yeah. done it because he felt like it was the right thing to do. Based um, on how people made choices back then, I, I feel like right. you're probably right. There must've been some political reason yeah. to do what he did. Man, all of these Shakespeare plays could have been named other things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There could have been a whole complete different family of people for Shakespeare mm -hmm. to be writing plays about. And it's because of that ship. That's wild. I'd never heard of it before. I've talked to some of my classmates. They've never heard of it before. I don't know if people learn about this when they take classes in English history, if you go back far mm -hmm. enough, if it's, but I imagine they probably don't because there's at some point, if you have a thousand years of history, you have to start somewhere and it's probably yeah. not significant enough in the long run. But um, yeah, it's a huge turn of events that no one could have predicted. Um, I think yeah. it's, yeah, I think it's fascinating. And this time period is just very fascinating to me too, the people who are involved and how quickly things can turn, that they had all mm -hmm. sworn their loyalty to Matilda. And as soon as Henry's dead, they all changed their minds. <laughs> Men are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. that can be the moral of this episode. <laughs> She's not always the best, but I am definitely pro Empress Matilda at all times. I'm always yeah. on her team. She is not official in the um, in the list of kings, and Stephen is, and I'm a little bit peeved about that uh, too. <laughs> she's sometimes included. I don't know if she's on my cup. I have a cup of kings. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Let's see. Is she here? If you're no. in England and you go places that have history about this time period, and you see the list of kings, and you see that someone has scratched out Stephen and written in <laughs> Matilda. It was Catherine. <laughs> I'm here fighting for Matilda even now. <laughs> fighting the good fight. We all appreciate and it. This whole time, whenever I talk on, on Zoom or a video chat, I always have to have something to do with my hands. I've been like flipping around this. Um, this is a, a letter opener that's shaped like a sword. <laughs> oh, my God. Listeners, I wish you could have been here for this moment because she just slowly lifted this tiny sword into, <laughs> into the screen. <laughs> It's um I got it from the Tower of London and it's just so fun. I I had to have it. <laughs> yeah. Having an actual sword, like a like a full sword that I can hold and swing is is a goal for sure. I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. I know you have I don't a sword by now. I don't know how I still don't have a sword. It's embarrassing. You don't have a sword? I have yeah, plenty okay. of fencing swords. <laughs> well, when this podcast obviously gets super famous and and <laughs> Um, makes me tons of millions of dollars. I will send you a sword. <laughs> it might be a planned graduation present when I become a master of medieval studies. Oh, that's amazing. I have yeah, this. Do that. There's uh, on Etsy. I have this one saved. It's a wooden reproduction of Eowyn's sword from Lord of the Rings. Ooh, yeah. 
the Lord of the Rings swords. When I was in high school, I like had those on like Christmas lists. <laughs> <laughs> your, your parents were like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, they were like, absolutely not. We're not spending $500 for you to have a real sword. You're six. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Killjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. This was awesome. This story wasn't necessarily an upper. It was not nearly as much of a downer as I feel like the first two were. I got really sad after the first two, and I was like, geez, am I going to be able to air this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, disasters are sad. I mean, it doesn't mean they aren't interesting. Or There are some conspiracies about the white ship that it was a plot to kill all these people. <gasps> um, I know modern historians say, no, there's no way. The medieval sources never sound skeptical uh, that this isn't an accident there's no uh, wow. there's no contemporary like suspicion of what happened the only real mystery is why did the captain allow this of his crew like how could he right. have as a professional person allowed his crew to be drinking um, especially with like such precious cargo so right. that is an unknown we don't know why he he decided mm. that was um acceptable but other than that we'll we'll leave the conspiracy theories there because they're probably nothing to them <laughs> well if anything this episode has provided a ton of fodder for hollywood so i don't want to see another marvel movie <laughs> i Come think out. that there should be an entire uh hbo series called the normans like what are they doing William all the way up like these people are crazy I have so <laughs> many more stories of Henry's like 20 illegitimate children or more one of his daughters tried to kill him with a crossbow oh my god so Henry was in a fight with her over something really serious he had fights with everybody he was really mm -hmm. angry he had his granddaughter's noses chopped off or something and this is his daughter's daughters and so she was really upset obviously and she like hid a crossbow in her dress and was like oh i want to talk this over and then she got into the castle and then tried to shoot him with it and it didn't work and they caught her and they imprisoned her she got free jumped out the window into the moat and she got away Oh I'll my send God. you her name. I can't remember. It's Juliana something, but I'll I'll send you her Wikipedia page. It's amazing. They talk about her in the book that I read about the white ship because I was like, why? why we don't need any fiction ever again because this is no. so this is so incredible. These people are really out here shooting crossbows at their dads. This whole family is just. We need a cable show. We need it. Green lighting. Come on. What are we doing? 2023 is going to be the year of no more Spider-Mans, no more Marvel <laughs> movies, no more Supermans, no more Batmans. I want to see movies about Henry's children. Thank you for letting me share about Juliana. She's the best. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you. And as promised, here is the greatest joke of all time. What's something that's brown and sticky? I bet you can't guess. You have no idea. It's a stick, idiot. I'm just kidding. I love you. Keep an eye out for the next episode of Know That Really Happened. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review. I love to hear what you think of the episodes, and it helps all the other nerds find us. Thank you to Alexi Chistelin of Lexin Music for the use of our theme song. See you next time. <laughs>